Are you there, God? It's us, Sid King and Becca Stevenson. Welcome to the Good Girls Gone Sad podcast, where we unpack our childhood drama and try to figure out why we are the way we are. We're here to answer the questions, what made you good and what makes you sad? This week, we are joined by licensed therapist Amanda E. White. You might know her from her super popular Instagram handle, Therapy for Women, where she has over 450,000 followers, but she's also the founder of Therapy for Women Center, which she'll talk a little bit more about later on the episode, and she's the host of the podcast Recovered-ish and author of Not Drinking Tonight. All right, let's welcome Amanda E. White. So we're so excited to have you on the podcast, Amanda. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We really are very excited. We've been sending your podcast episodes back and forth to each other. We're like, oh, like, oh listen to this one. It's like, no, no, we have to listen to this one. And um, today we were like screenshotting which ones you were listening to to each other. So, oh, you guys are so sweet. I mean, it's really <laughs> nice since I've been doing my podcast to be on someone else's podcast. I just feel like I have a whole new level of respect for it. <laughs> well, also just like how closely it all aligns is like you, especially I think like you're therapy training puts mm-hmm. into words things that we are always thinking and it's nice to hear them like externalized but I think a lot of good girls are gonna be very excited and relate to this episode yeah totally I actually um first heard you on the healthier together podcast mm. with Liz yeah. Moody and I as we're we will definitely dive into but um Sid and I have talked a lot about like drinking and yeah. we really haven't gotten into it a ton on this podcast so hearing you talk about your sobriety journey and everything was like I don't know. I felt like it brought to life a lot of the things that I'd been thinking about drinking and hadn't, as Sid was saying, like been able to put my finger to or like put words to. So I really appreciated hearing you talk and we're so excited to have you on. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like my sobriety journey is very intertwined with like my journey of kind of being a good girl and it just kind of all wraps in together. Well, perfect. Then I think that's a perfect (laughs) jumping off point. We would love to hear your good girl origin story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very much a good girl growing up. I am the eldest daughter. Um, I have a younger brother. Um, I'm four years older than him. So I was very much like yelled at as a child for momming him and (laughs) told a lot to, you know, calm down and things like that. And I was a huge people pleaser. I was like a teacher's pet. I was the kid that stayed after him with like clap erasers back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, <laughs> this is all hitting home. Yeah, Such a like thing that. that we don't have anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was really my identity, very obsessed with getting good grades, kind of being perfect. I was also, um, an ice skater growing up. So that all really lent itself to how you look, your body being perfect, all of that stuff. And, um, I really, really, when I was young, my mom would often kind of deal with us misbehaving by, she would say like, well, I'm not, I'm going to take this away from you, or I'm going to take that away from you. So I learned as a young age, at a young age that I needed to be good and kind of perform and be a good girl to kind of feel loved, feel accepted, all of that. So that really just kind of ended up leading me to, um, I think I tried to be perfect for so long. It was just impossible. And finally, um, you know, that ended up becoming an eating disorder, which was kind of this way that it manifested. And then in drinking, I felt like there was this, when I first drank, I had this escape from this feeling of needing to be good, needing to be perfect, worrying about what everyone was thinking about me. And I just, 
really took it too far. And it's, it's kind of funny. I think be like having an addiction in that people don't think if you have an addiction, you would ever have been a good girl. People think it's like a rebellious thing, but for me, it was a rebellious thing because I couldn't handle being a good girl anymore. And I just like had this big overcorrect essentially. Yeah. We have talked about a lot a lot of people we talked to, like, you know, didn't drink in high school, whatever, and then yeah. went to college and kind of like, oh, I can be different if I'm drinking and I don't have to be held by these rigid rules that I set for myself. So I think that's definitely something that people don't want to talk about because you don't mm-hmm. want to be like admitting to like failure or anything. Yeah. But I think that's totally a way that a lot of good girls handle drinking. Yeah, absolutely. That was my story. I was obsessed with going to college. I was like, I didn't have a ton of friends in high school. I very much felt really disconnected. And I dealt with that by trying to be perfect, by trying to get good grades. That was kind of my solace, I think was, you know, well, I'm going to go to a really great college and I'm going to leave this all behind. And then, yeah, when I went to college, my parents weren't there. I could do what I wanted and I didn't know how to handle or I couldn't handle drinking and all of the freedom because I had put myself in such a box for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people are like, Oh, well, were you like, were your parents super strict? And it was like, no, I put all, it was like all of these things I put on myself because I needed to like self-regulate because I didn't, I was like, I needed to live within rules. So I made up Mm -hmm. rules. I feel like drinking for me was like, Oh, finally, everybody else is on my level. I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. like have ADHD and like whatever. So I put myself in situations where people were drinking because I was like now everyone's weird ha 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 now everybody is like um doing things like doing and saying things that they regret like which yes. I constantly regretted everything so I was like I liked drinking so I was and I would like encourage other people to drink I think when I was like out at bars because I was like if I'm feeling this way I want everyone on the same page as me and this is like a way to even the playing field which I think kind of goes hand in hand with like being a good girl, if I'm going to be drinking, everybody else needs to do it too. So I can feel better about it. And vice versa. If other people aren't drinking, there's no way I'm going to be the first person to do it or even like dessert or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like going to wait until somebody takes the first chip before I go in on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, I think that's really common is that people think that your parents were the ones that started everything. But I think, especially if you look at our culture, if you look at society in general, right? Like there is so much pressure on women to be perfect, to be good, to follow rules, to be obedient. I mean, even if your parents didn't do that, you can see it in our culture. It's very easy to get influenced from there. And I think another thing that really came up for me is I had so much shame because I felt like I was pretending to be a good girl. It was like, I thought I was a really bad person underneath because I was like, I'm not, this isn't who I am. I'm consciously doing this. And if people found out who I really was, they wouldn't like me. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that hits. Yeah. Cause it's like not to be like, Oh, I had ADHD again. But it was the same thing where I was like, within these confines, I'm a good girl. I'm successful. If I follow all these rules, I was raised very Catholic. Like the the origin of our podcast is that we were both raised religious and like coming out of that when you're moving to the city. And now we talk to people of all kinds of, all kinds of backgrounds, because 
good girl origin stories come from everywhere. But um, for me, it's like why I loved religion because mm. it was rules I could follow. And I was a good person as long as I didn't have sex. That's all it took. I was yes. listening to your purity culture episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I was like, I actually like had to stop it. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> I cried about, cried about birth control to my therapist on Tuesday. So, um, you know, I was like, I, I'm just going to anyway. Well, I relate to that so much. This is so random, but okay. This is how deep it goes for me too. With purity culture is when I got pregnant, I felt like I, I felt like a 16 year old. Like it was so uncomfortable to like be pregnant and tell my parents that I was pregnant, even though they were so happy. I was just like, this is wrong. This is bad. I've been told since I was young that if I like got pregnant, it would be the worst thing ever. And now I'm supposed to be like, yay pregnancy it was so wild it's such a weird thing so I got married in February and I'm 30 so and also from the south so there's a lot of like so when when's the baby happening but it's so weird that like a week before we got married staying in separate rooms and then boom you're married okay like have a baby (laughs) why aren't you having sex all the time yeah (laughs) and it's like I don't like like I don't know I feel like I've developed this like cognitive dissonance where I can talk about like having a baby but it's like mm-hmm. I'm just like that sex doesn't have to do with it that's not what that is <laughs> it's it's yeah. so weird how that how that expectation flips I mean literally in this crying tears birth control conversation and she's she like well what's the worst that can happen I was like I go to hell or worse get pregnant and she was like oh. <laughs> and I I it was um like her video was messed up so it was like over the phone and I could hear her like being like okay so we really should have done 45 minutes instead of 30. Um, but that's like, our friend was like, if I masturbate, I'm going to go to mm-hmm. jail. Um, yeah. We had, had a guest who was like, I felt so bad for masturbating. He's like, I was going to go to jail. And he's like, hell maybe. He's like, hell's my problem, right? But mm. if I go to jail, that affects everybody else. If I get pregnant, that affects everybody else. Yes. And oh it was gosh, like, so the, true. my biggest fear forever. And I was like, I could just not make eye contact with men. That'll, so I won't get pregnant. That'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very real. Well, I think the ice skating background too is really interesting. Like I was a dancer, said did Mm -hmm. musical theater growing up. We talk about it all the time. And I think like for me, I know my parents felt like putting me in all these activities was like teaching me discipline. But Mm -hmm. then when you get to college, you realize the discipline doesn't come from yourself. It comes from someone else. And I think that was really hard to, and I was, I'm like, I'm like, that's a wonderful point back on you. Yeah. And so like, I think I thought like I'm this disciplined person. And then I went to college and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like I yes. have no food discipline. I have no like going out discipline. None, none of these things that I prided myself on. And it's like, well, this is the first time I'm picking out my own meals. Like mm-hmm. it's the first time that like, if I don't go to class, that's my fault. It's not like they're going to call my mom. So yeah, I think college is where it all seems to come to a head for a lot of people. Yeah. I think all the structure that you had in your life kind of falls apart. And like you said, it's the first time that you recognize what your motivation is and and what you're doing and things like that. And I think it's really disorienting sometimes when all of that structure falls apart, when you have nothing to be working towards when I remember too, it was really interesting because I always had good grades kind of in high school and everything like that. And when I got to college, it was also this weird dissonance of if I got a bad grade, like, yeah, I would tell my parents and they would be upset or whatever, but no one was there. Nothing happened. And it almost became this slippery slope for me where I was like, oh, I really thought I would die if I got like a B, but nothing Mm -hmm. happened. So it like created this opening for then like 
more slippery slope of not caring about my grades or skip it. Right. I remember the first time I skipped class, I was like, oh my God. But I, then I didn't die. And I was like, well, I, I could skip class again at some point. And it just kind of went off the rails for me eventually with my addiction. Yeah, totally. Well, I feel like we've touched on it a little bit, but would love to know officially what made you sad. My whole, everything fell apart in college with my addiction, with my eating disorder. I was like pretty suicidal in college eventually too, because I felt like I completely lost my identity. And I just had this, I didn't know who I was without being a good girl, without having all of this frigidity and this structure. And it wasn't until I graduated college and I literally graduated college and I worked at a frozen yogurt shop because I like couldn't figure out how to get a job or what I wanted to do. And I was in therapy and I started recognizing if I could start doing things that were in alignment with what my values were and that I could choose what my values were, that really changed my life. And I was able to start finding that internal motivation. And I realized how much better I felt when I lived with integrity, when I did what I said I would do, when I kept promises to myself. And I just tried to build on that because I would go out and drink and I would do things that were totally against what I said I liked or what I wanted, or I would be a bad friend and I would feel terrible about myself. And I realized that if I kept drinking, this would keep happening and really like creating the identity of becoming a therapist and using my experience to help other people was how I kind of walked out of that. Yeah. One of the things you talked about on your podcast that really hit home for me, this feeling of like, you know, you're breaking a promise to yourself and that is the hardest part. Like I feel that all the time, like with so many things, like even just, I'm going to start this work project today, or like, I'm going to, like you were saying on one of the episodes, like I'm going to start a podcast and like, that's going to feel really vulnerable. And I just have to push through it. Like that feeling, like you can't keep your own promises to yourself makes you feel horrible. And then it's like a cycle where you're like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe if I write it down and I like put reminders in my phone and I got get a new habit app or whatever it is, like I'll start doing all these things that I say I'm going to do. And that feeling of like, I'm letting myself down is just so crushing. I'd rather Mm -hmm. have to deal with somebody else because I'm not going to let them down, but I might let myself down. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you all have ever, um, read Gretchen Rubin's work. She like has the four, she has something where there's like four different personality types. And one of them is, um, an upholder. And it essentially means that you will like the way that you need accountability is through other people, because you will always do what you say you're going to do to other people. Cause you don't want to let them down. And I just really think that if you are a good girl, that's probably what you relate to a lot is this external pressure of, you know, pleasing others And that's why it's going to be so paramount to get in touch with your own values and really rebuilding that word with yourself. Because I'm just the biggest believer that the worst thing we can do for our self-confidence is say, we're going to do a bunch of things and then not follow through over and over because then you are really damaging your relationship with yourself, which is the foundation for all other relationships at the end of the day. And also fuels that shame that I was talking about. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably like, we talk about deconstruction sometimes with religion and that's like when your values aren't put upon you and you have to figure them out for yourself. Woof. Harder. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Gosh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on that note, I was yeah. curious your advice. So like 
Sid and I are both comedians and like mm -hmm. have lots of creative pursuits and both actually work in creative industries as well. And I, your episode about starting the podcast and like putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and writing a book and everything like really came at a good time for me where like, yeah. I have started writing a book, but I don't want people to know. I mean, now mm -hmm. I'm telling them obviously, but <laughs> I Huge like announcement. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> My husband like mentioned it in front of my family recently because mm. they were asking if I'd been doing stand up and I was like, not really. Like, I'm kind of bummed about it. And he was like, okay, but the reason you're not doing it is because you're doing all this other stuff. Stop selling yourself short. And I think like, I was like, don't tell people I'm writing the book because then I have to finish it and then they're mm. going to read it. <laughs> like, yeah. Those things are so scary. So I'm curious your advice on like getting through that initial starting. Mm -hmm. that is like the hugest thing I think to push past, but then also like being vulnerable and letting people know that that's something you're doing and like feeling like you need to follow through. Yeah. Well, I think the first step is really making sure that you want to do it because I think sometimes we can say that we're going to do something. And then like, I I'm kind of a big believer in under promise over deliver when it comes to things like under promise what you're going to do with yourself and with others. And then, and like start with the smallest goal possible. And then you can work up from there. I think in general, people take on these huge, huge, huge goals. And it's really overwhelming because we don't think about the million little steps that we need between, you know, point A and point B. So I think one thing you could do is you could rather than saying I'm writing a book, you could break that down into like a smaller step or I'm like working on a couple chapters of a book or I don't know what kind of book you're going to write, whether, right? Like you could be working on a book proposal, um, kind of breaking it down into smaller steps so that it's, especially with a book, because you don't know whether it'll get published. You don't know whether you'll publish it or whatever, and you don't want to feel disappointed. So if you can change some of that um, language to what you actually can control or even saying, you know, I'm going to do my podcast for a year and then I'll see how it goes. I think can be less overwhelming than being like, okay, I'm starting a podcast. I'm going to do it weekly for the rest of my life. And then of course you're going to feel disappointed. And that doesn't give you space to like, I think it's also really important to give you yourself space to change your mind too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sid was actually telling that to one of our podcast guests who we think should have a podcast. Yeah. And he was like, it just seems so, so overwhelming. Like you're taking on so much. And we kind of like, I feel like Sid is much more of a doer than I am. I'm yeah. like, a, let me talk about things and not do it. And Sid is like, well, let's <laughs> just do it right now. Like, why wouldn't we just do it? So it's a good pairing. But we were saying to him, like we said, we're going to do a season and then yeah. we'll stop. And we yeah. like took a break for me to get married and everything. And like, you know, got back on it. And I think season two, it's so much less of like, let's try to like scramble to get these episodes together. It's like, we're really enjoying it. And we've like kind mm -hmm. of reached our stride, but having that, I think measurable first season of mm -hmm. we're going to get to this point and then we'll take a break was so helpful for us. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, we also like gave us space to think about what we really wanted to do. And we're like, I think if we hadn't taken the break, we would have been like putting ourselves, like putting ourselves in a hole that we didn't really want to be in. And, um, it was hard and people are like, Oh, like, where's your new episode? Where's your new live mm. show? Da, 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 da. I really want to like, maybe touch on like, Oh, taking a break for, or doing a season for other people is okay. But mm. I am a good girl. Like, so I think like kind of in the purity culture episode, you were talking about like, or your guest was saying like, yeah. you're not special, you're not unique, which yeah. I think a lot of good girls, like that is 
so much wrapped in your identity is like, I'm special and unique. And that's why I'm going to make it out of my small town. That's why I'm going to make it like, yeah, we dream really big. We have all of these ambitions. And then being told you're not special, even if it's like a helpful thing mm-hmm. is like really kind of currently birth control, again, messing yeah. with my identity. And it kind of has ever since I got here, which is why even though I was kind of like, oh, I want to like be, do a good girls gone sad podcast. So everyone knows I am a good girl. And like, <laughs> this is how I grew up. So like that identity is always a part of me. Mm. Uh, Cause I feel like when we started this, it was very much like we were both still good girls figuring it out. And now we've talked so much and we're like really on the other side of the coin, of course, still figuring everything yeah. out, but it's brought a lot of clarity just talking about it versus like bottling it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating guacamole and chips and being like not and talking for like two and a half hours. Um, and like set now we like have a guest. That was like, cause we would talk about it over dinner. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just like this um, sense of specialness and kind of like, I don't know if you have any tips for like a healthy balance of those thoughts, because if I don't think I'm special and unique, I'm going to crumble and fall to pieces. One thing I think that's also interesting with all of this is what I was saying with the shame and stuff like that is I also think that we can have, when we're good girls, we can have the, um, we can be really self-centered, but not in a, we think we're better than everyone sort of way, right? Like that specialness can also be we're unique in this way of there's something wrong with us, or we're unique in this way that everyone's thinking about me, everyone, you know, I'm worried I'm the subject of kind of conversation and it can really kind of show up as feeling worthless. And I think that that's something to think about too, because it can really fuel this black and white thinking of, right. I'm all good. I'm all bad. Or other people are all good or all bad. And I think that's really where one of the in addition to rebuilding your relationship with yourself and, you know, working through shame, I think also kind of coming out of all or nothing thinking is really important. Um, just because when we have, when our identity is good or bad, it is going to filter into how we see the world and how we understand everything. And it even just shows up in our actions, right? If, if we think I need to be perfect where there's no point, it sets up this impossible bar for us. And then if we have a setback or something doesn't go our way, it's very tempting to just be like, well, I'm not perfect or I didn't do this right. I give up. There's no point. And we create this cycle. Mm -hmm. I know you have the podcast, but also you do a lot of social media and things like that. How is opening up about your own recovery Mm. journey? And I love that. Like, you don't even frame it as like, I'm recovered. It's like, this is a journey. It's messy. So I'm curious how opening up about it, like, what the challenges are there, but then also how maybe hopefully that's helped you in your own process. Yeah, absolutely. It was always something I just did because I had a therapist who was open about her, like her recovery journey. And that changed really everything for me in therapy. I like lied to all of my therapists before that because I wanted them to like me. I wanted them to think I was good. I wanted, I didn't want them to judge me. And when she was like, look, you know, I'm in recovery, I'm imperfect. It just opened up a lot of space for me. So it's not something that like every person needs in a therapist. It's not always the right fit, but for me personally, that made such a difference. Um, it was really what gave me, I think, hope out of my addiction was I could see myself in her and I could see myself doing that. So I always knew that, you know, I may not be the right therapist for everyone, but for the right people, this will be something that's important. 
And I just kind of carried that through with Instagram. So I don't take on like any new clients or anything like that anymore, just because I'm so open online, it wouldn't be healthy for, (laughs) for someone to know this much about me and for me to be their therapist. But, um, yeah, I mean, my goal, obviously it's come back to bite me in certain ways where, especially when, when I started my account and there weren't that many therapists online, there was a lot of people would reach out to me and be like, this is inappropriate. Why are you sharing like this? Mm -hmm. Um, but I just feel like I'm not for everyone, but I am for the right person. And I'm not going to not be myself in favor of this, you know, potential idea of what someone thinks I should be. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really appreciate about your content and podcast and everything is like, you, you talk a lot about nuance and the need mm-hmm. for nuance. And I think therapy in the TikTok age. Yeah. It's really like, I find myself bringing things to my therapist yes. who is very like, I don't really know anything about mm-hmm. her. Like she's very kind of by the book in that way. And I think like, I'll bring stuff to her. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure I have X, Y, Z TikTok, or like, I'll describe TikToks to her as like the way that I talk to her. And I know you specifically talked about like everything with Jonah Hill and things like that and like boundaries versus control and those types of things. So I'm just curious, like from your perspective as somebody who is using social media and has like found kind of your voice and your balance of how you want to talk about things, what do you see as the big pros and cons of social media therapy? Yes, absolutely. I think the pros are we've done a lot of work in destigmatizing therapy over the past few years. I think there's been a huge shift. I think that also people have access to tools, especially not everyone has the resources to go to therapy. There aren't always therapists around them. So, you know, that was pretty much why I started my account is I was like, I know all this stuff. It seems really basic to me, but it could really help someone else. I think the issue is, I just feel like every other word I'm going to say is overcorrect. I just feel like right? Like the therapy mental health space online. There are so many therapists now. And I, I fully get the irony of me critiquing the, the social media therapy space as a, like as someone who is on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important because I just think there's been such an overcorrect where now it is so inundated that everything is trauma. Everything is someone has a diagnosis. And I try to be really nuanced in my content. I try to be really clear that just because I say this on a post doesn't mean if you were my client, I would say this to you because the context really matters. But I think what's really hard about social media is it just breeds polarization because it's the high highs and the low lows and extremely simple takes are what go viral because people love simplicity. Um, so I'm, I know I've definitely contributed to it in the past. I'm sure as we all have, cause no one's perfect with it. Um, but yeah, those are the big challenges I see a lot in my work and I'm very concerned just about adolescents and everyone thinking that there's just this over intellectualization of all of our mental health issues. And I really think what's missing is like, we also are all human. Sometimes it's not a mental health issue. Sometimes it's just being a human being and it's okay to just struggle like any regular human. That doesn't mean you have depression or anxiety or a mental health diagnosis necessarily. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's what's so refreshing about your content is that you are, you almost like break the fourth wall of like, this is a thing that I'm telling you, but I'm not saying that this is 100% black and white. And I think, especially on TikTok, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm less on the Instagram side of that, mm-hmm. but like on TikTok, I just see so many people and then I, I'll click them and I'm like, who are you? Like, yeah. and it's just like somebody like me who has no training or anything and just Googled some words and wants to tell you why a bachelor contestant is gaslighting <laughs> somebody. So I think yeah. it's very refreshing that, I mean, and you're obviously not the only one doing this. There's plenty of people who are doing mm-hmm. really cool work on social, but it's really helpful to see like, I can relate to a lot of the things you're mm-hmm. talking about, but then also in reminding people that there's nuance and we don't need to diagnose people we don't know and things like that, I think is helpful to see. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the other big thing is just a lot of people on TikTok, especially like you said, are not therapists, they're not licensed or, and they just present. I think the biggest issue is we present every, like all these opinions as fact. And it's just like, Therapists differ in their opinions across all, like even things that, you know, even how a boundary is interpreted is going to be different depending on who you talk about. And that's, what's really hard too, is that when people just get on TikTok and they're like, this is gaslighting, this is this, they don't clarify. And we don't recognize that this is just your opinion of what this person might be gaslighting someone you don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing yes, and being open you. and vulnerable and answering our questions um, that were sometimes just us rambling. Um, <laughs> you accepted that with grace and we really appreciate that. Of course. Um, I haven't had a full coffee today, so I apologize. <laughs> so the next thing that we do, we call the good girl glossary. Yeah. Um, and Sid, would you like to define it? The good girl glossary um, is the definitive list of people, places, and things that make up a good girl. And we would love to know if your entry. First, we should if you want to do two, we should definitely yeah. add clapping erasers. Yeah. I was actually thinking that too. That was a really good one. Or just staying after class for like teacher chores in general. Like I had one teacher, which now that I think about it, like that was not appropriate of her, but we would like stay in like fourth grade. We would yeah. go into her classroom and help her organize her files and her files were like on children. We knew like, Yeah, it was the SLP at the school. And I look back on that and I'm like, she shouldn't have had eight-year-olds doing that, but that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It made me so special. Yeah. I definitely think clapping erasers. Mm -hmm. Um, I also would, I also in elementary school was always like, I would cry at the end of the year and like have these big emotional moments with my elementary school teachers. And they would be so sad that I was leaving and I would cry with them. And the other biggest one is my fourth grade teacher who loved me literally came to my bridal shower because for friends. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, that's amazing. I love being friends with your teachers. Think for I, lifelong friendships with teachers. Lifelong friendships with teachers. Okay. So to add something to the glossary, we say yeah. sin. So um let's start with clapping erasers. Clapping, clapping erasers. erasers. That's official. That's the sound effect we have. So it's officially in the entry, mm-hmm. an entry into the glossary. And then the second would be lifelong, lifelong friendships, friendships with, with teachers. Perfect. Perfect. Those are great entries. Yes. And I think, nailed it. I think we'll really hit home with a lot of our audience. <laughs> I did a lot Love of teacher it. chores. Like I was the person that was like, we actually had homework. 
actually we had homework. Um, yeah. One of my teachers also growing up, she came to like my birthday party when I like, it was like my current teacher she came to my birthday party. That's so cute. <laughs> like other grade. birthday parties. It was just you. No, just me. I was special. Yeah. <laughs> you are special. <laughs> I had a teacher in, I think it was sixth grade. And if you got like I don't know, it was like the highest grade in the class or something. And this is not meant to be a brag. I was 12, but like <laughs> if you got something, she would take you out for ice cream. And mm. I remember when it was my turn to go out for ice cream, whoever the person from the other class was couldn't come. So she was like, do you want to go shoe shopping? And I was like, sure. So I went shoe shopping when I was in sixth grade with my teacher. And she also knew my parents like separately. So I think seems like less weird that way. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I just remember her being like, Oh, you're a size six. Me too. Like that means they're always on display. Like <laughs> you can usually get a discount if they're worn in. I just, that was like a formative moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When a teacher thinks you're cool, I just yeah. feel like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. When it's like, it's not even just like mutual, like, Oh, you're so cute. It's like when the teacher thinks you're cool. Oh, yes. you made it, baby. You have absolutely. made it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Now I, I that was like when um teachers would come to the musical theater productions at the high school and be like, you were, you're really talented. I'd be like, wow. <laughs> teachers just like supporting anything you do, but also like, I mean, teachers are so important. I want to say are. that yes. we, we love teachers on this podcast, but like, I just have in my mind, like little things teachers said to me 20 years ago that mm -hmm. like. I think have made me the person I am today. And I don't know. I think that's really cool that they can just be like, oh yeah, you can totally do X, Y, Z thing that you think you can do that everyone else makes you makes fun of you for. And it's like, whoa, thank you. Yeah. Miss Perry, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I used to so get off on just like being the, you know, the favorite of, of any genre, whether it was a teacher, a coach, mm -hmm. all of that, that was so, you know, a therapist, potentially all of that. And it I know, really limited I, me. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I definitely still feel that way. So I'm like, it's yeah, hard. at work and things like that. I'm like, yeah. Oh I, yeah. Your boss. Absolutely. I was really, really close to my last boss. And I like, didn't want to leave because I was like, well, what if I'm not special at the new place? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, that's not how I should feel about my employer. Probably. <laughs> but. I know. I always felt like, um, I didn't even have to be that good as long as they really liked me. Mm, so it was yeah. like a yes. defense mechanism is like my likability will save me from like being bad at math or mm -hmm. like other, other random things in life, but I'm very bad at math. Um, and it always actually made me upset that I was like so bad at math. They still couldn't like me anyway. <laughs> so Mine was that I would outwork. I was like, I will just work yeah. the hardest, even if yeah. I do badly, as long as I'm proving that I'm working really hard. They have yeah. to appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the flip side of that is when I don't have a lot going on at work, mm -hmm. I feel like everyone thinks I'm a failure. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks I'm bad at my job. And like, thankfully, my boss right now is also a recovering people pleaser. And so we relate on a lot of this and I'll be like, I don't have that much going on. Is that okay? And she's like, it's okay. Why don't you just take a minute? <laughs> she's like, why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you yeah. plan a workout class at noon? Like you don't need to be freaking out trying to find something to do every second of the day. And I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> I love that. But also by saying that she knows that you're willing to do something at any second of the day. That's like true. that's always so important to me is that I'm like, I don't, I know I don't need to be busy, but like, I want you to know that I'm 
ready, willing, and able. Like, da, 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 da. <laughs> and then I get, and then I burn myself out, and I go, I'm really tired. And they go, Well, maybe, remember two weeks ago when you actually like didn't have that much to do? Why were, what was going on? Maybe mm-hmm. you should say no to some things. Maybe you should say no to some things. Yeah. But I have gotten my vocabulary. <laughs> All right, which is a problem for another episode. <laughs> um, Becca, would you like to segue into our game? Well, but once again, yes. amazing glossary entries. You yeah. hit the nail right on that. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, we end every episode um, with a silly little game. What's the name of the game? The game we wrote for you is called Sad Talk. So okay. we talked about this a little bit, but you talk a lot on your podcast and Instagram about the rise of therapy speak and the ways in which it can be helpful, but also harmful. So in this game, we're going to name a therapy speak term that we hear mm. a lot on the internet. And we would love for you to tell us whether the use of it is good, sad, or bad, which you can think of as like green light, yellow light, red light. Um, okay. So good is like, yes, we're talking about it correctly. This is great. Sad is like, sometimes it's misunderstood, but it's mostly a helpful concept to talk about. Bad is like, it doesn't have meaning anymore. People use it wrong all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, so not meant to be a judgment of the actual word because <laughs> a lot of these are actually pretty negative. So not saying if you think they're good, you are right. in support of gaslighting, but <laughs> just examining like whether it's overused and yeah. used correctly. Yeah. Okay. Well, enough caveats. <laughs> Oh, so first of all, let's start with gaslighting. Uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. Just like lost all meaning completely. Just. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest pet peeve is people talk about self gaslighting now. And that's like not possible. Like gaslighting involves a power dynamic. You can't gaslight yourself. <laughs> I have not heard that, but what what is it even like referring to when people say it? They say that, um, like stop gaslighting into yourself into thinking that you're not good enough. And it's just like, no, that's just like, don't talk negatively to yourself. You're not like purposely trying to make yourself be crazy because one part of you has power over the other part of you. You're not trying to make yourself slowly manipulating yourself. (laughs) It's like Jacqueline Hyde. It's like, unless that's what's going on, you can't gaslight yourself. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great bad one. Um, (laughs) Number two is boundaries. Uh, I'll say sad. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we need to talk about boundaries. I think people are trying to talk about boundaries. I think, I think though with, I think the Jonah, I was shocked at how many people were upset at me for explaining that those weren't real boundaries and people were really defensive of it. I was very surprised. I was like, this seems really obvious to me. Really? Really? That yeah. just really reinforces the bubble that I live in because everyone yeah. on my internet had the same opinion, which was like, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, these are not boundaries. Yeah. Um, Can I, uh, was it coming from, was that a gendered response? Do you think? Oh, good question. Uh, actually, I think the saddest thing was there were, I think a lot of women that just have internalized misogyny um, that were arguing that. Um, so that was sad to see. I definitely think it is gendered, but it was also interesting because then people would message me and be like, well, I asked my mom not to talk about my body, you know, or I asked her not to talk about something. Is that not a boundary? And I was like, no, that is if, like, you can, it would not be a boundary if you were telling her what she can talk about mm-hmm. with other people, but you right. have a right to say what someone can't talk about in front of you. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that, that really hurts that it's like, yeah. and now 
like boundaries are seen as bad. And so people might not be drawing the correct boundaries when they're actually, oh no, Jonah, (laughs) gross. Okay. Um, Third, narcissists. Mm, Definitely bad. Definitely bad. Okay. Yeah. I just, again, I think it's very similar to gaslighting. There is, I don't know what the percentage of the population that has narcissistic personality disorder. It is a personality disorder. Someone is not just narcissism is narcissistic personality disorder. They're not two different things. Um, it's a small part of the population. You can have traits of narcissism, but, um, I really get frustrated that it's just like everyone who doesn't agree with us, everyone we don't like everyone's ex-boyfriend is a narcissist and that's Mm -hmm. statistically not possible. Interesting. Cause I was talking to a counselor and I was like describing somebody in my life and they went, mm, sounds like this person's very narcissistic. And they put that on them when I was like very actively trying not to use that mm. word about this person. And then it kind of made me feel better, but now I'm like, what are they wrong? Well, they can be narcissistic. Right. They can okay. have like traits of okay. it mm-hmm. for sure. But when people say this person is a narcissist, that is like diagnosing them kind of. Yeah. Which I think That's- is overdone. I mean, I clearly am on like bachelor internet, but that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's something that you see a lot. And I mean, I think it's so interesting watching the bachelor and watching the contestants use mm. therapy speak because yes. like, everyone calls somebody a narcissist every season and things like that. But like, just when people will go through and be like, I'm just going to tell you what's wrong with each person on this show. And like half of them are narcissists. And it's like, no, like a narcissist is like Ted Bundy. Like yes. we're not, <laughs> you shouldn't just throw that around for somebody who's like self-centered or like right. thinks they're great. <laughs> right. Exactly. There are other yeah. words that you can use for that. Which yes. Also, they are a television personality at this point. Like, right. is that really them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Totally. Okay. Number four, anxious attachment style <laughs> or really attachment styles in general, but mm-hmm. that's the one I feel like you see most, or at least we see yeah between the two of us maybe maybe it's just an us thing um I'm gonna say sad I think it does need to be talked about but I also think it's just like people act like attachment is everything and it defines every piece of yourself and it can explain everything and that's not true and also you can change your attachment people act like it's this fixed thing that will never change and just because you have anxious attachment tendencies doesn't mean you are permanently anxious, anxiously attached. And that leads me to another thing, which the other thing that I think is frustrating with that is I think this whole like insane idealistic of like gentle parenting that's so, so swung the other way of like, I need to be perfectly 100% present for my child 24 seven at all times. They can never cry so that they're securely attached from me. I also think we've overcorrected with that too. Yeah. Well, I have so many things to ask you about. <laughs> well, I think about uh, having a baby. So that'll have to be another episode. Yeah. <laughs> so we can really dive into that. <laughs> um, oh, interesting. Because anxious attachment style, I literally was like, it's like your zodiac sign. It is who you are. And so when you said that, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. It's not like, <laughs> like, I, I, or I think people just obviously, you know, same thing with religion, love to explain things away and have a reason for things. And so, yeah. Like looking inward. Not that religion does that. I did I did that with religion for mm-hmm. sure. Well, and we love to categorize ourselves and yeah. be like, yes. well, because I'm an Enneagram three, I can't be helpful. Right. Yes. It is. Exactly. 
I like find myself doing that a lot. And I'm like, that's not like, I'm, I'm a multifaceted human being. Mm -hmm. I'm not just defined by like this random scale. Yeah, you're not like a, um, like a jar of different terms, you know, yes. right. like, yeah. Personality or like an traits. archetype. You're right. a real yeah. Person. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Okay. Self-care. Hmm. I feel like all of mine are going to be sad or bad. Um, I think this one's sad. Again, I think it's important to talk about, but I think the context is used incorrectly. One of the most frustrating ways I've seen it used is actually, I don't know if you watched the um, Ultimatum Queer Love show. I haven't watched that season. I watched a little bit of it, but I've also seen a lot of it through TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So there's a, there's a, a person on the show who, whenever things are frustrating, she will just say like self-care, self-care. I need to remove myself. I need to remove myself. And I think that again, this idea of self-care without context of other people that you can just at any time check out and do whatever you want, regardless of the consequences is really like unhealthy. And we also have to be, yes, I think it's really important we take care of ourselves, especially women. We're not taught to do that. Um, but I think also there can be an overcorrect with self-care doesn't just mean you abandon everyone else and just do whatever you want, or you won't have a hard conversation with someone, um, because it's uncomfortable for you, but like you still have to be uncomfortable in life. <laughs> You're conflict yeah. avoidant. That's not yes. <laughs> yeah. self-care. I'm a, I'm a big, like, I accidentally avoid things and I'm like, well, it's because of like what I've said I don't do and I don't want to scare myself. And then I'm like, I'm so back from a lot of things because I say that they make me uncomfortable. So I'm just not doing them. And like, maybe I'd be less uncomfortable if I did them. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer too. Like self-care is sometimes like doing the thing that you're avoiding, like going to the dentist, like you feel way better afterwards, yeah. like stop putting things, you know, off and, and start trying to face them and you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Okay. Number six is codependent. Hmm. I think this one's sad as well. Um, I think that most people aren't codependent. Again, we can have like codependency, like codependent traits. We can have codependency in our life, but it is not like a disorder that is a permanent trait of you. You're not just a codependent. Um, you can have a codependent relationship, but, um, yeah, I think I literally did a post like a year ago that was like, you may not be codependent. And I, I talk about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. Triggering. Mm. Um, I think it's sad as well. <laughs> I prefer the word activated. Cause I think that yeah. is actually the more like triggering implies that you don't have control. You are just in a triggered state, but sometimes what we're in is like an activated heightened state. Like our fight flight freeze is activated. Um, but that doesn't mean you're having like trigger a lot of times has to do with trauma and it's like, you're having like PTSD. And, um, I think people can justify their unhealthy behavior or bad behavior as just like, well, I was triggered. So it doesn't matter. And it's like, yes. And you still have to be responsible for how you act and what you say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like the through line from what I'm hearing from you for all of these is like, you can't use them as an excuse or you shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it's, if used correctly, then it's like very real and very helpful. But if Mm -hmm. you just throw it out there, then it can be 
damaging and like lose the power of the actual meaning. Absolutely. Um, so then this last one, Sid actually wanted to <laughs> put it in there. So I'll let you do it. Um, cortisol levels, like my cortisol levels. Oh. Are- um, is that real? Like, I do feel like sometimes, I don't know if it's adrenaline or I'm having a panic attack. I don't know, but people are like, oh, it's probably your cortisol levels. And I tried to Google it and none of it made any sense. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I think that it's therapy speak, but also like, that is one that's like quite physical because mm-hmm. I yeah. do feel like a change happened to me, which is what people say their cortisol. I'm going to stop talking. You know, the answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's actually, I mean, I haven't, maybe it's because of my you know, all of our social medias are uniquely tailored to us. I haven't seen a ton of it. So I'm going to say, um, good just because I haven't seen it. I mean, cortisol is real. You can like people's cortisol levels go up. And I think that it is sometimes when people say they're triggered, I think their adrenaline is up or their cortisol is up. So I'm in favor of talking about that. What I don't love is when like wellness people are like your cortisol levels are messed up or your gut bacteria is messed up and you just need to take the shake. And then, you know, you're overweight because of your cortisol levels and stuff like that. Like nothing. That's the TikTok I'm on. Yeah. (laughs) You can't lose weight because of your cortisol levels. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on a little bit of both, which is why I was so confused about it. Yeah. I I feel like I was watching like a housewives episode. She's like, my cortisol levels are right. (laughs) And then it was also like, and then I was trying to Google cortisol and then my TikTok became, uh, want to make your gut go away. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand how any of this connects. So, okay. But- I don't totally understand that either. Cause based on the research, I know, I mean, I guess it could, you know, I don't know. It, I don't think the research, whenever you Google something and it's not super clear, typically it's because there are lots of conflicting research studies and people okay. don't actually know, but no one says we don't know. They just yeah. come up with their own opinion about it. Yeah. Got it. Well, thank you so much. You won the game. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) That was great. And super helpful to think about all those different terms as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Great. So the very last thing that we do is um, we call it pass the offer Troy plate, but this is basically just like, where can people find you? Um, Where can they throw a little metaphorical money into your plate? Or real money. Or (laughs) real money. Yeah. If you want to drop your Venmo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at therapy for women. You can also, my podcast is called recovered ish. It comes out every week on Thursdays. Um, And if you're interested in therapy, I have a therapy practice that's based in Philadelphia with um, therapists across 27 states. So you can check out therapyforwomencenter.com. My book is also called Not Drinking Tonight if you're interested in the sobriety aspect. Awesome. Amazing. This was so much fun. I hope you had fun. I did. I did. I thought we could have talked to you for like seven hours. So if you ever want me to come back, I would love to. You guys are great. I love all the little games and things you play. So fun. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. You can find me, Becca Stevenson, at the Becca Stevenson on Instagram and at the real underscore Becca on TikTok and Twitter. You can find me, Sid King, at Sid period the period King on Instagram. And you can find us, the Good Girls Gone Sad, at Good Girls Gone Sad on Instagram and TikTok. You can also email us at goodgirlsgonesad at gmail.com. If you would like to submit a glossary submission, you can DM it to us on Instagram or send it through by email. Also, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will mail you a sticker and a matchbook. If you DM it to us on Instagram, just have to give us your address. Five-star reviews only, please. Also, don't forget, if you want to drink your morning coffee out of a mug that says Jesus wouldn't call people whores on the internet, you can do that with our merch, which you can find via our link tree.
We would also like to thank Emery Bergman for our amazing logo and Luke Lima for our amazing intro and outro music. All right, there's only one thing left to say. Jesus wouldn't call people whores on the internet. And neither should you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.